We do everything possible to get everything done that we need to get done in the day and then add more things to it if we get ahead. We live in this culture that is full of time-saving devices and strategies, and yet we still need to, need, never seem to have enough time to get things completed. We live in a fast-food society. Everything is moving at warp speed. But let me tell you, folks, warp speed is warping our soul. At some point, we have to take a time out. We have to stop running around from one activity to another and just be still what we would call taking a time out in life. You know, when it comes to living the spiritual life, so many times we do so many other things, and our spiritual livelihood comes second or third on down the list. You may not like me saying this. You may not agree with me. But it's your fault. It's my fault. I mean, the schedule that we keep is largely a schedule that we devise, isn't it? We've created a monster, and the monster has to be fed. And the more you feed the monster, the hungrier it's going to get. We are either a slave to our schedule, or we are a master of our minutes. And it's really as simple as that. In some ways, we are a product of our culture. I don't have to tell you that one of the highest virtues in our culture is to be busy. Because if you're, bu you're busy, you're valuable. Right? You're productive and you're valuable. In turn, one of the most despicable devices in our culture is laziness. If we stop, if we slow down, even for a moment, the world is going to pass our by and someone might mistake us for being lazy. Here's some things that we can't afford to miss, though. Here are two things that we can't afford to miss. Number one, busyness doesn't mean that you're productive. And number two, resting doesn't mean that you're unproductive. Busyness doesn't mean that you're valuable. Resting doesn't mean that you're invaluable. And we've got to get that out of the way. We've got to change our thinking. We've got to be deprogrammed first because we have been programmed by our society, which tells us if you slow down, if you stop for even a moment and take a rest, then you're unproductive, and therefore you're not valuable. We live in a culture that resists rest and relaxation, don't we? We live in a culture that says your opponent is always working harder. And therefore, you've got to keep working harder. I remember as an athlete, our coach telling us all the time when we were out there practicing, you're out here working hard while your opponent's not. You're giving it your all. They're not working this hard. The mindset was you've got to keep working hard so that you can outwork your opponent so that you can beat them, which didn't work because we didn't win a single game my senior year. So evidently, working hard or getting up early before the sun rises doesn't necessarily guarantee success, right? But that's what we believe. And folks, we are drinking the Kool-Aid. We are, we are swallowing it hook, line, and sinker. What our world is teaching us, that the, more, the busier you are, the more valuable you are, we believe that with all of our heart. And we will sacrifice just about anything, including our spiritual livelihood, to be as busy as we can be, and thus be as productive as we can be, and thus be as valuable as we can be. But here's the thing. When it gets right down to it, what we need is not more activity. What we need is more rest. And you think, well, yep, Chris, that's great, but that ain't happening anytime soon. But as I said before, we devise our schedule. We are in control of it for the most part. 
We've just got to figure out a way in our own minds to reprogram, recalibrate, and recharge to where we're investing in what is most important. Look at Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, it reads like this. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their host. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God created and made. God worked, and then God rested. And you know what? The world didn't fall apart. The supreme ruler and creator of the universe, the one who never sleeps, the one who never slumbers, the one who is in control of it all, he rested. And if God can rest and the universe doesn't fall apart, then I promise you, you can take a break, you can rest, and your world won't come crashing down. We have to be a master of our minutes. God rested and the world didn't fall apart. We can rest as well. I can remember one time when I was, when I was coaching basketball, we were playing a, a much larger school. I think there were about two classifications higher than us. We were on the road, and I had a very scrappy team, which means we weren't very good. That's what scrappy means. And so we were playing this other school, and they were good. Not only were they bigger than us in enrollment, they were bigger than us on the court. They had two brothers. One was 6'8", one was 6'7", and my tallest player was 6'3", and I only have one of those kids. The rest of my kids were 5'10", scrawny, 140 pounds. And so we had to play a real scrappy style. We wanted the game to be messy. The messier it was, the better. And so we were diving on the floor. We were pressing after a made basket, after a missed basket, whatever we could do to make the game sloppy. Because my belief was, if we're not very talented, if we're not really good as a whole, we've got to make the other team uh, get frustrated. We want to do what we can to frustrate them and to disrupt their flow. And a less talented team can at least do that. They can at least hustle. Hustle never has a bad day. It never has a losing streak, right? And so that was our goal. That was our plan. And it seemed to be working. You know, I feel like that if I can have a 16, 17, 18-year-old kid have to make a decision every time he comes down the floor, I like my chances there. And so we did that, and it was working. They were getting frustrated. They were getting tired because we were just all over them. And it was the fourth quarter. We were getting down to the wire. We were right there. The whole game we had trailed, but we were within four or five points, and I, I could tell that the momentum was shifting. And so I called a timeout. And the kids come over. It was a full timeout. They sit down on the bench there, and I talked to them for a few moments. And I said, Look at them. Look at the other team over there. They're bent over. They're holding their shorts. They're tired. You've got them right where you want them. Little did they know I was kind of bluffing my way through that, but they were intent. They were, they were wanting to win this game. And so I, I, I broke the huddle. I let them talk to them amongst themselves, and I went over and I talked to the referee. Referee was a friend of mine. I knew him. I was not one that typically got technical fouls or anything like that. I think I got two the whole time I was coaching. This was a guy I knew, and I walked over to him, and I said, why don't you give me a technical? And he said, why? And I said, I'll tell you later. Just do it. And so we kind of act like we had this exchange. He gives me a technical foul. I go back to the huddle, and I said, look, guys, nobody thinks you can win this game. The refs are against you. The crowd's against you. Nobody wants you to win. Now let's go out there, and let's get it done. And, you know, a lot of times in coaching, 99% of the time you look like a fool. 
every once in a while you look like a genius. We won that game because of the just the heart and maybe a little bit of extra motivation. A well-called timeout and a well-spent timeout can make all the difference in winning or losing. And certainly that is true in our daily lives. Certainly that is true with our spiritual welfare. Do you realize that Jesus began his ministry with 40 days of solitude? And even from that point forward, over and over again, he stopped. He took a break. He rested. He got alone with the Father. Listen to this. Jesus was a master of minutes. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. When day came, Jesus left, and he went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Our Lord modeled for us what godly dedication in the midst of busyness looks like. Jesus was busy, but he, had never, he never allowed busyness and hurriedness to get in the way of godliness. Jesus never allowed society to impose priorities upon him that were not from God. And you know, it goes to show us that if Jesus needed regular timeouts, then how much more do we? If Jesus had to take a break from time to time to get away from the crowds, to exercise crowd control, and to just be one-on-one with the Father, then how much more do we need that, right? Being busy doesn't necessarily mean progress. You can be busy every waking minute of your life and never accomplish anything worthwhile. You realize that? But I promise you, you will never accomplish more than when you be still and be alone with the Father and get one-on-one with him. I want you to notice something in Mark chapter 6. Starting in verse 30, here's what we read. It says, The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by by themselves. Did you notice that Jesus called a timeout for his players? Jesus calls a timeout for his players, and a good coach will do that. You see, his players had come to the coach and said, look at all we're doing. Look at how busy we are. Look at all the great things we're accomplishing. We're busy, we're productive, and thus we're valuable. And Jesus says, hold on a minute. Take a break. Timeout. Now, there was very good reason to keep going. If anybody had a reason not to take a time out, it was Jesus. I mean, he was only going to be on earth for a limited time. He had many things that he had to accomplish while he was here. There was always someone to be healed. There was always someone who needed to be taught. And yet Jesus recognized something that we all need to recognize. And that is, you're not valuable for the kingdom unless you're taking regular timeouts. I don't care what kind of coach you are and whatever sport it is, you cannot condition a player to play the whole game with maximum effort without having a rest you can't they're going to get tired at some point they will get tired we always talk about give 110 percent all this kind of stuff doesn't matter you're going to get tired 
at some point. And certainly that's true with us as people serving God in the Lord's kingdom. We've got to have rest or else we're not going to be productive. Good coaches know when to call a timeout. Obviously, Jesus was the best coach. Some of you are running on fumes this morning. Some of you are exhausted. And somewhere inside of you, there's this sense of pride because you are running on fumes and because you are exhausted. You wear your busyness and your hurriedness and your exhaustion like a badge of honor. I mean, admit it, how many of you have had a discussion with someone and you get into a debate about how busy the two of you are? I mean, you go back and forth. Well, you did that. Well, you, you, you have no idea what busy is. I mean, look at what, all we, what I've been doing. How many of you have purposely kind of looked disheveled so the boss would really think you're busier than what you are? How many of you have ever been asleep on the couch and your wife walks in, you get up and start doing something because you can't have her thinking you were resting? This is the world that we live in. We lay our head down at night, totally and completely exhausted, and we do it with a sense of pride. It's a badge of honor. Look how busy I am. Look how productive I am. And thus, look how valuable I am. Chances are the coach is calling a timeout and you're not listening. Psalm 23, 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Listen to this. He makes me lie down. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me do it. I wouldn't have done it otherwise, but he makes me. Psalm 46, 10. Be still and know that I am God. I use the New American Standard. It reads, cease striving and know that I am God. That's exactly what many of us need to do. We need to cease striving long enough so that we can be still and know who God is. We need to take a time out. In fact, if you read through the entirety of Psalm 46, you will often see on the side of those scriptures the word Selah. Over and over again, it comes up in the Psalms, but especially Psalm 46. After a thought... The author puts Selah. Do you know what Selah means? It means time out. Actually, it, it means pause. Meditate. Think about what was just said. Reflect on it. Are you hearing it? Are you internalizing it? Timeouts are essential for us to refocus, reprioritize, recalibrate, and recharge. In all of our striving, at some point, we have to make ourselves available to God. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you, James said. How do you draw near to God? Well, one way is by stopping. By hitting the pause button and getting one-on-one -on -one with God. i got to tell you, this is a problem for me. You know, again... You want to know where the ideas for my sermons come from? They come from me and what I deal with. And this is something that I have struggled with for a long time. I have long thought, as long as I'm busy and I'm productive, then I must be valuable to God. Because unlike many of you, I get to do this every day. I get to be busy and productive for the Lord, right? I mean, we should all be working for the Lord, but I mean, the church employs me. So if I'm working hard for the Lord, I mean, how much better is that? And there have been many times in ministry where I've fulfilled the obligations of a busy week or a busy day. You know, I've gone in hospitals, I've, you know, I've done funerals, I've, you know, I've done all these different things, and I lay my head down at night and I think, wow, how proud God must be of me. And then it hits me that, you know what? 
in all the circus and keeping all the plates spinning, I have forgotten what this was all about. I've gotten a grip on the how, but I've forgotten the why. Why am I doing all this? And I've noticed that my prayer life was suffering. My Bible study was stale. I've looked around me at at preachers who have been very busy for the Lord. And their family's a dumpster fire. Their kids have gone off the rails. They're doing Bible studies every night of the week with somebody else. But they haven't focused on their kids and their family. They're working hard for the Lord, and yet they've forgotten the why. And so that's something that I really try to try to guard against, using my timeouts wisely. Paul said this, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. I don't think that Paul intended for us to translate the phrase, making the most of your time, as squeezing in as much work as possible. In fact, I don't think Paul was talking about work at all in this context. And I think I can argue that successfully. I think when Paul said making the most of your time, he's talking about what it means to live and grow spiritually. He's not talking about skipping lunch if necessary. He's not talking about prying your eyes open with your toothpicks. He's not talking about all these different things that we think of when we think about making the most of our time, which is squeezing in as much activity as possible. No, Paul is talking about within context here, staying away from immoral and impure things, growing spiritually, seeking to imitate Christ, to walk wisely in the footsteps of Jesus making the most of your time by putting the emphasis on what's most important. You know, a good coach is going to use his timeouts wisely. He only gets so many of them, so he's got to use them carefully. Whether it's to talk strategy, whether it's to come up with a a last-second play, whether it's to stop momentum, whether it's to give the team a rest, good coaches make the most of their timeouts, and our Lord certainly did that. He regularly paused and exercised crowd control so that he could get alone with the Father. And if we're going to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, then we've got to be able to do the same thing. In the game of life, we as players have a goal, don't we? There's always a prize that we're striving for. I don't care what the sport is, there's always a goal. And we have a goal as well. And the goal is to live like Jesus so that we can receive the prize, which is, of course, our heavenly crown, so that we can be with God for all eternity. But unfortunately... So often what happens in this game of life is that we chase the wrong goal. Like we said last week, we're working hard to build this empire of dirt, to build this large tower reaching high up into heaven, and never once do we consult the divine architect to see if all of our building is really a good idea. Why are we building? What are we building? Who are we building it for? What is our goal? Our goal should be to store up treasures in heaven, not to build this empire of dirt here on earth. Go back to the Psalms. You look at Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 99. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Skip down to verse 148. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. You know, we don't talk much about meditation. I think meditation kind of scares us because we often associate it with non-Christian religions or We tend to think of meditation as like an emptying of your mind, but that's not what the psalmist is talking about at all. 
Meditation is reflecting on what God has said, on what God has done. Getting one-on-one with God in His Word. Letting it sink in. Letting it have its way with your heart and your mind. Letting it control your behavior. We meditate for the purpose of learning what God wants us to know and what He wants us to become. And meditating on God's Word takes time. You can't hurry that. You can't rush it. You've got to be still. What is true of studying God's Word is certainly true of our prayer life as well. I mean, you can't rush prayer. You can't hurry through it. Yes, you can pray while you're standing in line at the grocery store. You can pray while you're driving down the road. But at some point, you have to create an environment where it's just you and God, and you shut out the white noise, you shut out everything around you, and you just talk to God. You study His Word. You listen to what He is having to say. So often, we may be winning at life, but we're losing at what's most important because we're not putting emphasis on the things that matter most. We're not stopping. We're not pausing. We're not taking a time out. As we mentioned, Jesus often got away to be alone with God. Certainly, we need to take from His example and play a different game than the world around us, devoting ourselves to God and first and foremost, letting our devotion to Him regulate everything else in life. You know, there's another problem here. There's another bad side effect to to being hurry sick. I can also remember one of the greatest, most awesome things as a coach is when you call a timeout and your players are sitting there on the bench and they're just staring right through you. They're looking intently at you because they trust that you're going to give them the exact right words and the exact right thing to help them win the game. That's a really neat feeling. You don't always get that feeling. Some players don't buy in, but when they do, it's an awesome feeling. And I was one that in a timeout, I did not believe that you needed to say 50 different things. Every timeout should have a purpose, and you should only be sending one message. Now, it may differ from timeout to timeout, but that message needs to be one message. They don't need to hear 50 different things and try to remember that. It may be, here's what we're going to do, here's our strategy. It may be, hey, you're doing great, just keep it up. It may be, hey, just rest, relax, we're going to get back out there and get back at it. But there needs to be one message. But if it was a longer time out, one of the things that I felt was important is talking to the kids and then getting out of the way. I'd step away from the huddle and I'd talk to the assistant coach, or I'd talk to the referee, whatever it was, and I'd let them talk amongst themselves. And it's such a neat thing to see a team galvanize, put their arms around one another in a huddle and talk about what they need to do right there at the end. That's a neat thing to see. To see them coming together as a team and focusing on what it means to be a team with a common goal. And that's a neat thing to see in the church as well. It's a neat thing when I can stand up here and I can preach the Word of God and then I can step away and after church see hugging and shaking hands and talking and having to flicker the lights so y'all get out of here. I love that. I love that we stay around and we talk and we, we're here for one another. Not just in church, but outside of church as well, that we call and check on one another, that we send cards. I have never published my dad's address and somebody sent him a card the other day from this church. Unbelievable. Nobody here knows my dad. And yet, they're reaching out to him. 
It's really neat to step back and just see that. But what happens in a hurry-sick culture is so often we see other people as an obstacle that stands in the way of what we're trying to do. And so we're working diligently, and people, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ, become an obstacle. They become a bother rather than our brother. And it's a shame that that happens, but so often it does. We're trying to get where we need to go. We're tunnel-visioned. We, we can't see past our own nose. People get in the way of that. It's a disturbing reality that so often people become an obstacle. You know, it would be great if we could take a, an evening walk with our spouse. We could have one of those nights of, of just unplanned, sitting around the living room, talking and laughing. We could have some some evenings where there's no structure, we just get together and we enjoy one another's company, like we're going to do tonight with small groups. But many of us avoid small groups because we have so much to do. We have so many things going on. I don't have time for that. We say things like, I can't find the time. And you know what? You don't find time. That's the reason. You don't find time. You make it. You create it for what's most important. And folks, taking a time out, resting, being with others, being able to see others. All those one another passages that Paul talked about, loving one another, encouraging one another, confronting one another if you have to, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice, all of that comes from being together and taking time with one another. Listen to this. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, Fervently love one another from the heart, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. People are not a bother. They're your brother. They're not an interruption, they're an investment. We've got to invest in what's most important. And there's nothing more important than following Jesus, being a an active member of the Lord's church, seeking to imitate our Lord. But what happens all too often, unfortunately, is when people get busy or when they have other things going in their life, especially, I was talking about this this week, when someone falls on hard times, what's their first reaction? To pull away from church. It's just a fact that when people need the church the most is when they tend to pull away from it. That's the absolute wrong attitude. That's the absolute wrong action. Church is a time out well spent. It's a poor use of your time out to take a time out from church. That's the last thing you want to do. When the world around you is falling apart, this is where you come. This is where you find peace. This is where you find people like you who have struggled like you, maybe struggling like you, to help you to get back on your feet. When all else fails, when the world around you is so busy and moving at warp speed, this is where you come, you take a time out. You get with God, you get with his people. Those of you who know history, do you know who David Atchison is? You ever heard that name? He was a senator from the state of Missouri. He's been dubbed as the 24-hour president. Back long ago when James Polk was president, his term expired on a Saturday, actually at midnight. So Zachary Taylor was to be sworn in on a Sunday. 
But Zachary Taylor said no. He would not be sworn in on a Sunday because in his mind, Sunday was for church and for rest. And so for that one 24-hour period, President Pro Temp was David Atchison, the 24-hour president. Now, some refute that claim. You can go online and you can look it up. So please don't come to me and say, well, you know, that's not true. I mean, even Snopes has proven to be unreliable and have a bias, right? So I don't know if that's exactly true or not, but that's what some have said. But here's what does seem to be true. What does seem to be accurate is that Zachary Taylor refused to be sworn in on a Sunday because church and rest were more important to him. What could be more important than being president of the United States of America? What could be more important than becoming president of the United States? the world's highest office. What could be more important than that? According to Zachary Taylor, there was something more important. And I hope there's something more important to you. That above all else, being like Jesus, being with his people, taking regular timeouts, hitting the pause button, I hope that's more important to you. Because I guarantee you, you need it. We all do. Maybe you're here this morning and you're suffering from hurry sickness. Maybe you have allowed other priorities that are not from God to be placed upon you. And it's time to recalibrate, reprioritize, and recharge. Let us help you this morning. Maybe you're someone who has never put the emphasis on God like you should. Maybe you have not made the most of your time wisely. And you're ready to become a child of God this morning. Maybe you're ready to study the Bible. Let's start there. If you have a need this morning, don't leave here without us helping you tend to that need. That's what we're here for. If we can be of service to you, if we can help you in any way, Clinton's going to lead us in a song. Just come forward as we stand and as we sing. There is rest, sweet rest, at the Master's feet. There is favor now at the mercy.